Well, it's exciting. I, I know that that strong conference has been in the making for many years, so I am so excited to see what's going to uh, happen at it and how it's going to impact so many people. Well, this morning, uh, I'm excited to be bringing the word, and uh, it's so amazing every week. I'm always so shocked at how uh, just the worship and the songs and the scriptures that are chosen and all these things, how they tie so beautifully to what is being brought in the message. And I just feel like God every week prepares your hearts, prepares our hearts to receive what it is that he wants to say. And so this morning, uh, I am really excited to share a story from the Bible and kind of what I feel like the Lord has laid on my heart about it. And uh, I think it's gonna touch some deep places. I know it even kind of like, you know, went a little deeper in my heart. And so as I was sitting there, a picture that I remember having a long time ago came back to mind. And something that I used to wrestle with a lot and still have to be careful of is shame. I don't know how many of you have navigated or still navigate shame. I think most people really do. And uh, I remember I was probably in my early 20s. I was away on a little missions trip. And I was in a worship service, not much different to the, than this one. And I remember just the Lord really kind of stepping into that space with me. I don't know if any of you have ever encountered those moments where it just feels like the Lord kind of just stands right in front of you. And he starts pushing in on places that aren't super comfortable. And I remember as he did that, he, he just started showing me how I actually felt about myself. He started highlighting sort of what my understanding of how I was in my heart to me. And I saw myself as this little kid just covered in filthy rags, just so ashamed of who I was. And I remember him just welcoming me as I was and trading that shame and that filthiness and that ugliness that I felt was so heavy on me for something so different. I just wept and I wept as he took that and offered me something so different. And the story that I want to share with you today is a different kind of encounter, but that idea, that idea of exchanging shame for life, exchanging death and heaviness and the things that we carry around really not really thinking about it for lightness and life and a different kind of clothing, a different kind of identity. And so I want to read, I want to start off reading this whole story and you can find it. It's not going to be up there because it's, it's long. So you can find it in John. As, we, as we've been reading together, if you're following along on our reading plan, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, I, I'll let you know at the end. But if you're following along in our reading plan, we're at John. We're coming up to John now. And I'm going to read from John 4, and I'm going to start in verse 4. And it says this. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to, to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew. And, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, 
If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also the sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Well, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she said. And Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped at this mountain, and you Jews claim the place where we must have worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus said, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. And it goes on to continue saying, sorry, this is kind of there. It goes on to continue saying that, you know, all the people came and heard what he had to say and then believed for themselves that he was the Messiah. And this interaction, actually, before I go into this, let's just pause and pray. Let's open our hearts. God, I thank you. I thank you for your word that, that just so clearly lays out who you are. That when we pause and don't just skim over your scriptures, but when we really take in what you're doing and what you're showing us about you, it is unbelievable who you are that you are so magnificent and huge and yet so, so present with us, so holy and yet so reaching into our lives, asking us to meet you and offering us holiness and sanctification in, in exchange for our filthiness, in exchange for our shame. And so God, I just pray that as we kind of go through this, as we sit in this story, in this true story, that we will see your character. In Jesus' name, amen. Now this interaction that we just read to us may seem like no big deal. 
you know, a woman talking to a man, a woman from another area talking to a man from another area. It doesn't seem like a huge issue, but it's actually an extremely profound interaction. There is a lot of gold just in the facts in this. And so we're going to kind of dive into that first before we go ahead and kind of bring it down to where we are today. Jesus was absolutely a revolutionary. And if you dig into the, into the New Testament, you see that he's constantly pushing against and breaking sort of the structures or the molds or the religious and societal structures that were set up that kind of put these barriers between God and people. So let's look at this interaction and see how that does that. Now it says in verse four that he had to go through Samaria. Now this was not just a coincidence then that he is there waiting for this woman and or happened to be sitting at a well where he happened to stumble across and sit down and then there was a woman that happened to come along. No, this was very intentional on his part. Because really, when we look at the story back then, the Jewish people and the Samaritan people would not mix. They were utter enemies, actually. They despised each other. They hated each other. And there were hundreds of years of hatred, actually, in their relationship with one another. And so Jewish people actually saw the, the, the Samaritans lower than Gentiles. Now, if you, know, uh, if you know about the New Testament, the Gentiles were anybody who wasn't Jewish, and, and the Jewish people thought of them as unclean. There were a lot of rules around how you interacted with Gentiles, and there was, they were sort of lower. Now, Samaritans were even lower because they were kind of a mix of Jewish and Gentile people, and so they were just considered um, enemies. They would actually walk to avoid Samaria. They would walk an extra 40 miles around Samaria, most Jewish people, just to avoid that space of land. And this would take, so uh, a journey that might take three days would take them five to seven days. That's how much hatred was between them. And so for Jesus to choose to go into Samaria, to say uh, he had to go there, was very intentional. That was a very intentional point. And on top of that, on top of that, Jewish men, especially religious leaders, would not interact with women in public. So not only was this a Samaritan, it was a Samaritan woman. They wouldn't talk to women in public. And Jesus was a rabbi, so he was a Jewish teacher. He wouldn't talk in, in this uh, sort of expectation. He wouldn't be talking to women in public. Not only that, this woman in the description, she had several husbands. And so even in the Samaritan, it was clear, and even in the Samaritan culture, this was frowned upon. She came to the well on her own in the middle, in the hottest part of the day to avoid interacting people because there was so much shame tied to how she was living her life. And not only was she married five times, she was now living with a man she wasn't married to. And so there was much shame in the culture around this. And in the Jewish culture, culture this was very shameful. And so everything about this interaction breaks so many things that the Jewish culture kind of held high. The piety for a religious leader to interact with this woman was shocking. And on top of that, he doesn't just interact with her, he asks her for a drink from the vessel that she also drinks from, which would have been completely a no-no. 
It would have made him unclean. This would have been an unclean act. And so these things, just in that, there's so much. If you sit in that and you think about all of that, how much Jesus, not just a religious leader, but we know him as God, to step into this space with this woman is amazing. It's amazing. And it shows us that Jesus was willing to do the unconventional, things that offended the senses of the people around him, to push against man-made barriers. Sometimes, as we navigate our life and even our Christian walk, we can be kind of unclean, unclear about what Jesus is asking us because we kind of relegate Jesus. We put these boundaries around him, but he actually has no desire to maintain some of these. Some of these are just man-made structures, ideas that we've put in place that aren't actually his, his ideas. And so we sometimes miss what he's doing don't really see it because we're looking for him in this little space, but he goes into all the spaces of our lives. Even the spaces that we may seem as shameful or unclean or things that we want to hide away and not allow people, let alone God, into. So what barriers are you assuming are in Jesus' way in your life? What are the things in your life that you're like, as I walk with God, this is definitely in God's way. This stands in the way of him being able to work in my life or meet me in the way I want him to. What places of shame or legalism or insecurity is he asking to step into with you versus walking all the way around to get away from it? You know, don't we think that sometimes God's like wanting to walk that 40 miles around something in our lives when really he's like, all right, I'm going to just step right into this with you, right? And when he gets there, we're like, what are you doing here? I'm filthy. I'm what you frown upon. And he steps in, he's like, can I have a drink? Isn't that funny? So at this time, my question to you is, what is Jesus asking of you? What is he like, hello? That we're like, could Jesus be asking that of me? That doesn't make any sense. He comes and he knocks at those spaces. He steps into those spaces and he says, I'm here and I'd love to have something from you. And the amazing thing is Jesus asked Will you give me a drink? He didn't demand it of her. He didn't say, woman, give me a drink now. No, actually, I know it sounds funny, but in the culture, the women were just there to do the bidding. They they weren't thought of on equal playing field as we are now. And she was not only just a, a woman, but a Samaritan woman. Like, there was no value to her life, really, to Jewish people. And so for him to treat her with respect and dignity is amazing. And to ask instead of demand is amazing. It's amazing to me. And you know, he did not treat her as social norms would expect for a woman. He gave her choice. 
He actually even gave her the choice to reject his request. You know, he didn't ask, he demanded. Or he didn't demand, he asked. And isn't that so the character of God? Right from the beginning, he has given us choice. Right from the Garden of Eden, he gave us choice. And so God will always ask, he will not force. So when he steps into that space that we're like, what are you doing here? And kind of shocked, he'll ask. And we then get to choose whether or not we let him be there with us. Whether or not we step into things he's asking of us that blow our minds. We have the choice whether or not to let him work or not. She was shocked and gave him every reason why he should not even be asking anything from her. And I want to pause right there. Are any of you feeling like God is asking you to step into something that you're like, that can't be me? and giving every reason to God why whatever he's asking should not be happening. It could be something he's asking you to do, or it could be something he's asking you to give up, or a relationship he's asking you to forgive. Are you giving him reasons not to do it? Jesus' presence would have been uncomfortable. Just his presence there would have been uncomfortable for her. This interaction would have been uncomfortable for her because she would have felt such immense shame. Such immense shame. In asking her for a drink, he was asking her to set aside the barriers that stand in the way of him bringing hope to her. It was like the initial entry point. He was asking, will she set aside those things that we put in place, that we say make us inaccessible to Jesus? And you know, think about the amount of shame, all the things I've just described, sitting there then before a Jewish religious leader, the amount of shame she would have felt in that moment. Have you ever stepped into a moment with somebody, stepped into a room, saw somebody that you were like, oh, and all of a sudden, the shame in your life becomes so real, so apparent. Things you walk around, you don't even notice, but the weight of that shame becomes instantly real. That's how she would have felt. She went to the well every day. I don't know that she would have necessarily noticed the weight of her shame until that moment of encountering Jesus. She would have felt it. It would have been sluggish. It would have been not fun. But the weight of that shame would have been so apparent in that moment. Jesus was asking if she would make room. She needed to be willing to let him pass the barriers and to talk with him and to give him a drink in the first place in order for him to get to the deeper issues of her shame. When Jesus steps into these spaces in our life asking us to make room for him in an area, it is usually very uncomfortable. It'll usually make you kind of feel like, I don't belong here. How can I stand before a holy God like this? It's the shame we live with every day and it becomes so present and so heavy and we become so aware of it. Jesus pushes up against our barriers so that we become acutely aware of its presence because we're not meant to live with that shame. In that moment, we have a choice to shrink back. We can choose to not interact with that moment with him 
or we can choose to lean in and engage like she did. She engaged the conversation. She didn't just like, you know, pull away. She asked questions. She was like, why are you asking me this? What is going on here? She engaged, she let him have the drink. This is amazing and this is how we're to interact with Jesus. Go past the barriers that we see there and let him interact with our shame. Let him come into these spaces. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew, you would have asked him. He would have given you the insight you needed. As he comes and sits before you, he'll give you the understanding that you need. In that moment where you're kind of shocked, If you will ask the questions, he'll start to show you what's going on. He'll start to show you the path through that. He'll start to show you how to let go of that shame. Trusting God means learning that he has something greater to give you when he asks you, when he asks for something from you. When he comes and says, will you let me have this? Or will you come and do this with me? And we're like, oh no, what are you doing here? Will we trust him and engage in any ways? Will we trust him and step into that anyways? Will we trust him and do whatever it is he's asking anyways because he has something greater for you than that shame or that identity that you're living under that holds you captive, that holds you in bondage? So my second question to you is this, will you trust he has something greater to give you than what he's asking from you? Will you trust that when he comes and says, please just give this to me, that he has something greater for you. When he comes and says, give me that drink of water, and you're like, that makes no sense. Why would you want this? And he says, but I have, I have living water for you. I have life for you. Just like Jesus will push against the barriers in our life, even the religious and societal ones, Jesus will also go to the hard places. If we'll let him in past that barrier, he'll go into those hard places we would prefer he didn't go. Remember, Jesus is trying to give her something greater, but to do so, she must make room. There is something in the way precisely where that greater gift needs to go. If we want to hold on to our shame or whatever it is that we're like, Jesus, I don't belong there, or I can't step into that, if we want to hold on to it, that greater thing can't go anywhere. It has no space to go because we've said, oh no, this is actually what belongs in that slot. What you want to put here, I can't receive because I'm full. So if you want all that God has for you, we have to trust that when he says, give this to me, or come and do this with me, that he has something much greater for you than you can imagine in this moment. That the pain of giving that up or stepping into that moment is worth the exchange you're about to get. Totally worth. The pain of sitting in front of Jesus in all her shame of doing the unconventional, of breaking free from all those molds was worth what came on the other side. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have five husbands. And one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Oof. 
you imagine sitting in front of God and he's telling you this and you're like, oh. Or just a religious leader that you knew just despised you because you were a woman, or you assumed despised you because you were a woman and a Samaritan. That'd be horrible. And yet she sat there and she had this interaction and she didn't actually reject it. She was actually like, wow, you know me. And I think it's so cool that we talked about knowing Jesus and Jesus knowing us earlier. That knowing is so profound. In that moment of knowing, we can either choose shame or choose the life he's saying, yeah, I know you, but I still love you. I still want to give you life. She had to own what he was convicting her of in order to step into the things that he had for her. As Jesus sits before you and you feel the weight of the things that you know God's kind of calling out in you, own it. Lean into it. Let him go there. Even if you're like, I don't know my way through this. I don't know how to get out of it. I don't know how to get the other side. I don't even know how to shake this off my back. He will show you. Own it. Say, yes, God, you're right. And let him go there. Let him be that prophet, priest, and king in your life. Let him be that savior that rescues you. Let him be that life giver that wants to exchange the death of your shame, the death of your past for life. Jesus is offering you life in exchange for your shame. He's offering something far better than what you are currently hanging on to. Whatever you're saying, I am this. And because of this, I can't this. Let it go. Let it go to him. As God calls you into it, and you say, but I'm this. Let him say, I've got that. Give me that. I know that. And I'll give you this. I'll give you this life. When Jeff and I were close to getting engaged, I knew I needed to share with him about some of the more intimate details of my past, the things that you know, I had shame about, the mistakes that I had made, past relationships. I knew I had to share that with him because I needed to. I knew that if I wanted the relationship with him, I had to let him in to those places of shame, those places of pain, those mistakes. Because if I carried those around hidden, they were a blockade to our relationship. They stood in the way of us actually having intimacy, proper intimacy, a whole relationship. They, any time I hold those things and hide them away in my heart, it's a space he doesn't get to share with me. And I knew I needed to share with him, no matter how much shame. But the minute I'm sitting in front of him, no matter how confident I felt beforehand of sharing this, I felt the weight of the shame of my past. I felt the weight of the things that I did that I wish I never had as I sat before him. And as I shared them with him, I would you know, put my head down and my eyes down, not because I thought he would reject me, but because I rejected myself. I rejected myself based on that. But if I had chosen to hold those back, I don't think we would have the relationship we have today. I knew that I had to take the risk in order to have the kind of relationship I wanted. And it's the same with God. And he loved me. He didn't think any less of me. 
he actually loved me in, in a more Jesus-like fashion than anybody had ever loved me. And you know what that did? It healed those spaces. It helped me reconcile those spaces to myself. It helped me go, okay, that's my past. I can move forward. And Jesus' love is so much greater that as we bring those things that we have tucked away that we feel like divide us from God and allow him to have them, he loves us and brings healing and wholeness. And he actually bridges those spaces and actually helps us to reconcile ourselves with that, letting go of the shame and allowing him to change us and then use that as a testimony for his goodness. Jesus invites us to let him in. He wants access to our deepest shames and hurts. He wants to dismantle the untrue things that have been placed on us from others or ourselves, ideas that we have about why we are less than or rejected. He wants to take those down. He wants to take those down. You are not less valuable than the person sitting beside you, the friend down the street, the professional at the bank, the suburban woman in another city or town, the person working in the government, the doctor, teacher, pastor, wife, mother, husband, dad, anybody you compare yourself to that you think, oh, they're that much better than I am, that's a lie. That's a lie. You have no less value to Jesus than any one of those people. Jesus sees you as worth waiting for. He sees you as worth drinking from the same jar. He sees you as worth having intelligent conversation with. That's a friend, isn't it? He sees you like that. He sees you as he's someone he wants in his kingdom. As an adopted brother or sister, that's how he sees you. One he wants to offer living water, eternal life, not just another encounter. Something life-changing, not just a moment in a building. Something that causes you to run into the streets saying, he knew everything about me, he told me everything I ever did and to proclaim it like it's a good thing. <laughs> right? Who wants to do that? <laughs> this is radical. It's radical, guys. You are not overlooked, hopeless case. You're not. You are a loved human that Jesus sees and is offering new life to. Even if you've known him for years, there is spaces in our lives sometimes that we withhold because of shame. You may have been going to church all your life. And there's spaces that you're like, not there, God. But if you don't let him in, you are missing out. You are missing out. He wants to go there, not to condemn you, to set you free and to give you living water, truly. To bring life where there is death. Whatever you are afraid of, let him into it. Know that he already knows. He already knows. And he paid for it. He paid for it so that you could be free from the judgment. This woman, you know, she left there. Didn't change her circumstances. When she went running and going like, this guy, he knew everything about me. It's amazing. Everybody still looked at her as this woman who had five husbands and was living with a man. 
All the Jews still saw her as a Samaritan. All the guys saw her as a woman. Didn't change it. What changed was inside of her. Her ability to see herself the way Jesus saw her. Her ability to be free from the shame that was heaped on her from her own choices and from everybody else. That no longer told her who she was. It no longer brought death to her. She had living water now that just kept coming. And so now no longer was bound by those things, but could go out, out from under the shame of her past, under the shame, out from under the shame of just where she grew up, and be alive. And so I encourage you today that this is something that's offered to you. If there is somewhere in your life right now that you can feel God kind of poking at, if there is a human construct that you're like, well, I only fit here because, or if there is a space of shame that you're like, well, I'm sure God doesn't want to go here because, or I can't do this because, let him go there. Because he's sitting here saying, I have living water for you that I want to bring into your life and bring wholeness and healing and freedom for you. Will you let him in to the vulnerable, ugly spaces that you would rather not? The spaces that actually bring judgment to our lives. Jesus died so we don't have to sit under judgment anymore. But we must allow him in and give it to him. And then allow him to replace judgment and death with living water. His Holy Spirit and the word. Because sometimes we choose to stay under judgment even though Jesus paid the price that we don't have to. Even after accepting that gift, sometimes we choose to sit under judgment. When we hold on to shame, that's what we're doing. We're holding on to the judgment that Jesus paid a very dear price for to set us free from. He wants us to let go. He wants us to be free. Because guess what you won't do while you're living under judgment? You won't run into the streets and declare God's goodness because you'll hide that space from everybody around you. But He wants you to be able to run into the street and say, God is so good. He told me everything about myself and not feel ashamed. He wants you free. Will you trust he has something greater to give you than what he's asking from you? Will you let him give life in exchange for shame? So let's pause right now and ask that question, God, what do you want from me? And then by faith, trust him enough to say yes and give it to him. So we're just going to take a moment and just sit before him for just a minute. It's a quick exchange. Then we have to live in that freedom. So let's take a moment before God.
Rachel's just going to sing quietly, such an awesome God, just that chorus, so holy. Just sit with him and give it to him. Whatever he's putting his finger on, whatever he's asking from you, I encourage you to give it to him. It's worth it. We'll just do it once, and then we'll close in prayer. Such an awesome Christ to set us free from. So God, I pray for freedom from the bondage of shame and sin today. In Jesus' name, because you are a holy and awesome God, so loving and kind and faithful. Because you are good and you meet us where we are. In Jesus' name, amen.